the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Romans 3.23, he makes it clear. All have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. Romans 5.1 tells us what he did because of that. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Now take out your copy of God's Word or turn it on. Go to Romans chapter 16. It's hard to believe, but we're coming to the end of our journey through Romans. We began over a year ago. There's been over 30 messages. I started in ministry full-time 30 years ago. And last year was the first time that I embarked on preaching through Romans verse by verse. Most people would say that the Bible is the most important book that's ever written, and many would argue that Romans is the most important part of the Bible. It's written by the Apostle Paul, inspired like all of Scripture by the Holy Spirit. He wrote it while he was in a city called Corinth to a specific church at Rome. But it speaks to us. It speaks of soteriology. Soteriology is what it means to be saved. Now, saved is kind of a churchy word, so let me give you the first of what's going to be several times of why we need to be saved. The Bible says that you and I were born separated from God. It's because of our sin. It's not anything that we've done. It's simply who we are. That sin separates us from God, and it demands punishment by God because God is holy. And the Bible even describes what that punishment is. It's called eternal or forever death, and it even tells us where that takes place. It takes place in hell. But God doesn't want that. The Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but all that should, all should come to repentance. So God made a way. We're going to learn in Romans that he tells us in chapter 5 and verse 8 that he demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our punishment. His punishment paved a way for you and me. It offers us forgiveness and gives us, by God's grace, an opportunity to express faith in Jesus Christ. When we express faith in Jesus Christ, we're saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from that eternal punishment of death. We're saved to eternal life. And the Bible even tells us where that's going to take place. It takes place in heaven. So this book talks about what it means to be saved. And we know that from the beginning. In chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The gospel is what I just described to you. You were separated from God, doomed to punishment in hell. God loves you so much that he made a way to bridge that separation. That way was through the cross of Jesus. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, he rose from the grave, he defeated sin and death, he became triumphant, and thus gave you a way to experience life. That's the second time in just a couple of minutes you've heard the gospel. There will be more. When the Bible talks about the gospel, it talks about being saved in three different ways. It says, we were saved. I can remember the time I was saved. I was a seven-year-old boy. I went into the backyard of my house where we lived because I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I needed God's grace, and I ex- expressed my faith in Christ. In that moment, though it's hard to understand, as a child, I was justified, is what the Bible calls it. It, was, it means it was just as if I've never sinned and just as if I've always obeyed. That's when I was saved. But here's the good news. I am being saved. The Bible calls that being sanctified. I'm sanctified in that I'm becoming more and more like Christ. When I was saved, I was saved from the penalty of sin. As I'm being saved, I'm sanctified. I'm being saved from the power of sin. But one day, thank you, Jesus, there's coming a day where we'll see Jesus face to face. There are no more sickness, no more pain. And get this, no more presence of sin. We will be saved. That's when we're glorified. And the book of Romans tells that whole story throughout 16 chapters. We've not skipped any of the hard words. I can remember those sermons when I stood up here and talked about circumcision over and over and over again. We've not even skipped hard names. We spent a whole week, two weeks ago, just reading through the list of names in Romans 16 and discovering what we could learn. So how do we sum it all up? Now that we've come to the end, I would give you this phrase. God gives you everything you need in the person of Jesus Christ. So go live your life through the power of the gospel and change this world for the glory of God. In just a few moments, we'll leave this building. We're leaving a place that's made by hands, man, man's hands. We're going into a world that God's spoken to existence. And as we do that, every one of you who are followers of Christ have the same opportunity. God's given you everything you need in the person of Jesus Christ. So you have to choose. Will I now live my life through the power of the gospel and change the world for his glory? With that in mind, look at these last few verses. Romans 16, beginning verse 17. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out. Say, watch out. Now say, watch out like you were talking to your child that's about to touch a hot stove. Say, watch out. Yeah, that's better. That's more like how he was saying it. Watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you've learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone's heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good, innocent about what is evil. You've heard this before. As Christ followers, we're to be wise as a serpent, but innocent as doves. And then this verse, man, I love this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Then we go back to another list of names. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and so, but Peter, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, now when we mentioned Tertius last time, I told you that probably just because of the way it sounds, his last name was Purvis, because that sounds kind of good. Tertius Purvis. He wrote down this letter 
and I greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who's the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus send you their greetings. Now, some of your Bibles at this next point have the heading that says doxology. Listen to the doxology. Now, to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't that good? Yeah, you should do what exactly one person was prompted to do. You should just take a moment and give God praise as he comes to the conclusion of this great message about our salvation. Now, I want to talk about this with kind of three basic statements. And so I want to, I know how you, you like watching things. I want to let you know how this can go. The first statement, we're going to hang out there a while. The next statement, if you blink, you're going to miss it. And the last statement will we'll kind of conclude strong, all right? I think it's interesting, in these last words to the church at Rome, Paul begins by saying, watch out! Be careful! He's just read the names of real people. And we walked through and, and, and we've described the real change that they were making in the world. Just like some of you, you're difference makers. You're making an impact. Real people. This Christian journey, it's not some hypothetical. It's not something we read about in a book. God changes lives and those changed lives become world changers. That's amazing. But now he says, but lest you're confused. Not all church people are good people. There are some that would lead you astray and get you into trouble. And so he says, be careful out there. Not everyone has your best interest in mind. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. You can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. What was the specific problem here? There were people in the church at Rome that were leading other people in the church at Rome astray. They were causing division. He says, watch out, be careful about division. What is division? It, it literally means the vision 
has become divided. What has he spent 16 chapters telling us the vision should be? The vision is the gospel. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We should stay focused on the gospel. That's when we talk about our church. We've told you this is not a church where we're going to get sidetracked by your politics. We're not going to get sidetracked by the latest social media trends. We're going to stay centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when you fail to do that, there is division. But here he's not talking about division over silly things. Sometimes there's division over silly things. When we do our new member class, I often tell the story about a church you can see if you drive down the interstate in Mississippi. You look off to the side of the interstate and you'll notice, well, that looks strange because one side of the roof has one color shingles and the other side of the roof has a different color shingles. And the story is that this church couldn't agree on what color shingles they should have when they reshingled the roof. So it's a divided shingled roof. Now, how silly does that sound? That's not as silly as some of the things churches have divided over through the years. He's not talking about those things. He's talking about big things, division over the meaning of the gospel, false teaching, he calls it. He's saying some people there are moving away from the essentials of the faith. And we often talk about there are essential things that we believe that you've got to hold to. We know who we are as a church. We know what we stand to. We, we find essential beliefs from God's word. But there are other things that may be important to you or they may even be important to me. But they're not the essentials of their faith. So, so what we say is in essentials, we must have unity. But in non-essentials, we must have liberty. Because in all things, we must have charity. In the church at Rome, there began to be a division over the essentials. The essential nature of the gospel. So what's the essential nature of the gospel? I think this is number three in the last few minutes. The essential nature of the gospel is this. There's only one way to be saved. And that is through faith alone, by God's grace alone, in Christ Jesus alone. Anything else perverts the gospel. Anything else becomes heresy to the one true gospel. So you you know what that means? Jesus even, plus anything is a false gospel. So Jesus plus how good you are, if you think that's what's going to get you into heaven, that's false. That's not the gospel. Jesus plus how much you give to a church or ministry, if that's what you're depending on, that's not what's going to get you into heaven. That's not the gospel. Jesus plus how many hours you serve at the church or in ministry or whatever you do, that's not the gospel. The gospel is simply this. We're lost. And need to be saved. And the only pathway to salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, his son. What does that mean? That means when I come to church, I I sure had better look for a church that's centered on the gospel. If you're part of our church family, I hope you've got a lifetime commitment. But just in case you move, or if you're not a part of our church family or you're hearing this message in one of our other platforms, I would just encourage you, if you're looking for a church, make sure you're looking for the right things. You don't choose a church based on programs, what's best for your kids. You don't choose a church based on the kind of music they sing or or the seats that they sit in or the clothes that they wear. You choose a church that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're a part of any church or if ever you're a part of this church and it fails to be centered on the gospel, 
then you need to move away. That's what he's saying. When the people you're around are moving away from the essentials, then you need to move away from them. What was guiding this in their case? He makes it clear. They were being guided by the appetites of their own hearts. The reason they were causing division was they were focused on what they wanted. And let me tell you, that's still true today. If church ever becomes all about you, watch out. Because that's not what it's intended to be. But after this harsh warning, he gives them a good word. He says, but by the way, you've got a good reputation. That's kind of cool. He says, you have a reputation for being obedient in your faith. I hang out with pastors all the time. Two different times this week, I was in groups of pastors. In a few weeks, I'll be with a bunch of crazy pastors when our denomination gets together. I mean, a lot of them are losing their mind. But here's what I know. When pastors get together, I don't hear them talking like the Apostle Paul. I hear them talking about the numbers in their church and how much their budget is or those kind of things. Man, how great would it be to talk about our church and to say, man, you've got a reputation for being obedient. Man, when people talk about Mission Hill, they say those people are out sharing their faith and obedience through the commands of Jesus. Those people are sacrificially giving in obedience to the commands of Jesus. Those people are opening the scriptures and they're fasting and praying in obedience to the command of scriptures. That's what he's saying. In spite of all this that you need to be watching out for, you have a lot of good going on. So understand that. Be careful. But live with hope. And then he tells them why they live with hope. Can we look at that verse again? Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That should, that should get you excited. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Kind of a strange choice of words. God of peace, serpent crusher. I mean, that sounds like a WWE character. Serpent crusher. And yet that's in the same sentence as God of peace. So you first got to ask, why do we call him the God of peace? Number four. I think this is time number four. I'm sharing with you the truth of the gospel. The Bible says you were born at war with God. You were not at peace with God. In fact, you were at wrath with God. And because of that, God got angry. Because he can't stand sin. And so when the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross as punishment for our sin, it uses a word in Romans called propitiation, which means he took on the wrath or the anger of God. But because Jesus took on the wrath and the anger of God, you know what that means? You and I could have peace with God. That's why he's called the God of peace. He made a way for you and me to have peace in the midst of an evil, evil world. You see, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the absence of evil. And what he's saying here is, is evil is always going to have to be eradicated. It first has to be eradicated individually. You have to deal with that. Because the greatest conflict that you're going to experience, the greatest evil that you'll ever endure is the evil of your human heart. I know you don't like to hear this, but I've told you this before. You're your own worst enemy. You're the worst person you ever meet. You know how I can prove that to you? 
Just ask yourself who's always been there at every bad decision you've ever made. You have. So you've got to start with eradicating that evil in your heart. And that's why, number five, you need to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. You need to come to that place where you understand you were born a sinner. And that sin separates you from God. And your only hope is to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin as a result of the hope of the gospel. When you're saved, that evil is eradicated from your heart. But evil must not only be eradicated individually, evil must be eradicated institutionally. You begin to look at the world and say, where do we eradicate evil in society? So church, understand this. We are not social warriors. However, because... I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And because I'm pursuing his holiness and because I've eradicated evil in my life by the grace of God and now I'm clothed in his righteousness, when I see that there are those who take human life in the form of a baby that was made in the image of God, I stand against that because I say that is evil. And because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, when I see that there are those who are trafficking young boys and young girls and young men and young women into modern day slavery with human trafficking through massage parlors and, and, and striptease places, I stand against that evil because I say they, these were people made in the image of God and for his glory. And that means when I see homelessness on the streets, I recognize that nobody grows up as a little seven-year-old boy and, and says, I hope I can one day be homeless. So I know they're hurting and they're in need of a help. They're in the need of comfort and the hope that comes from Jesus. And I want to eradicate that evil. And that's why in a time like this, I say to Target, enough! You've lost your mind. I have to stand against the things you're standing for because it's evil in this world. And I want to live my life eradicating evil. But this is interesting. He uses a word that at first gets on my nerves. He says he will soon crush Satan. I'm like, really, Lord? Like, when? I feel like sometimes I'm talking to my boys. I, the Purvis Pack, man, I love our family. We've got a couple of boys home from college. But I'm just telling you, inevitably, there will be conversations like this in our house. Because these boys, man, they eat like horses, and they drink gallons and gallons of milk. Pray for us in the name of Jesus. And so, but inevitably, I, I might walk through the house, and there's like a dirty milk cup or a, a bowl or a plate that had pizza on it, and it's just sitting there. And I walk by and say, son, get that up and clean up. And inevitably, I'll hear this conversation, okay, I will. And I'll go on my way and come back maybe an hour later. And guess what I see? I mean, it's like antibiotics are growing right there in my house. It's, it's awful. And I'll say, in the name of Jesus, clean up that mess. And then I may hear some, I'm going to do it soon. I'm like, oh, you and God got the same timetable for soon. Because that's how we feel sometimes when we're battling the enemy, isn't it? And we forget what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. See, God's not on your timetable. He's not in a hurry. But he says, I'm going to put him under your heel. It takes us back to Genesis chapter 3. 
which I think for the fifth time lets me tell you some good news. The Bible says that you are created in the line of the first of creation, Adam and Eve. And they were created to relate to and to worship God. And they had everything except they weren't God. And the enemy slithered his way into their lives and he began to say, hey, I think you'd make a good God. I just need to tell you something. It was true then, it's true today. We make awful gods. We're not good at it. But Adam and Eve didn't understand that, so they took things into their own hands. We we got this God, we can handle it. And so sin entered the world. All of a sudden, they opened their eyes and they were embarrassed because they didn't have any clothes on. And so God began to weave in this covenant of covering and he, he, he shed the blood of an animal so that they could have their bodies covered. But in the midst of this, he gives a promise in Genesis chapter 3. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekday mornings at 9, here on Faith Talk Tampa. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.